Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is part one of our conference breakdowns in the NBA, and we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference. But of course, we're not going to talk about it with just us. We have a special guest today coming on the podcast from TV on Basketball. Please welcome TV. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on once again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. And of course, we're glad to have you back. So we're going to start with a team that we ended the podcast off last time talking about with TV. Uh, We're going to start with Toronto. Toronto sits one and a half games back out of the last play-in spot. So TV, in order for Toronto to make the playoffs, who are two players that you believe need to make the biggest impact? The two players that really need to make the biggest impact in terms of the Toronto Raptors right now is going to have to be Kyle Lowry and also pretty, um, this guy hasn't been playing very good over the last few games, but also Gary Trent because um, in terms of um, the starting lineup, Kyle Lowry has had, especially after since the trade deadline, he's been kind of on and off. He hasn't been able to string a, like a nice four or five game stretch where he's scoring like double digits and stuff like that. And if they really want to like have a chance at that play in spot, like you said, one and a half um, behind, he's going to need to play his best basketball. And then Gary Trent, um, he got moved to the bench ever since most of the starters came back and I don't think he's like been playing too well off the bench. He's been actually quite struggling, but if he can get back to um, his great play that he did, like when he first joined the Raptors, I think that he, that it could be a very nice like bench piece to have, especially with the assurgence of people like Utah Watanabe, Malachi Flint as well. um, Freddie Gillespie, who they picked up recently. It's the bench is starting to form together and Gary Trent has to be the leader of that second unit in order for the Raptors to even have a chance. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the whole situation, honestly, bro, I think the most interesting part about trying to make a playoff push is just really deciding. You can pick whatever plays you want in terms of progression, but I think the big question that they have to ask themselves is, do they want to make a push for the play-in tournament? Because they're in a really weird, very interesting set of circumstances. TV, you cover this team uh, pretty pretty closely, or I guess you pay attention to this team a lot closer you know that the schedule that they have coming up is brutal. I mean, just the next two games alone are two of the better teams in the Western Conference with the Nuggets and the Jazz. The Lakers are still trying to make a push of their own. The Clippers after that. The Wizards have been one of the hottest teams in basketball. That's the next four to five games right there in front of them. So the the real question for them is going to be whether or not they really want to be able to make that push. We, We can clearly point out guys like Kyle Lowry who can step up, and he has been playing a lot more frequently, despite, I think, I guess being sat down for a short amount of time. I think the big question they have to ask themselves is, is that what they want? And then I guess after that, the bigger question after is, are they talented enough to make a run? Because this is not an easy stretch at all, because it's a lot of teams down the stretch that are all still playing for something. So it's not going to be too many cakewalks. Exactly. And I think the Raptors did try and do what you said. Maybe they didn't want to kind of be in this position this late into the season because they've been resting OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry. They rested them like five to 10 games, like after the trade deadline. And the problem was that these young guys that the Raptors have are just keep competing, keep competing, keeping them kind of like in the race somehow, even like how bad the season has been. So at this point, I think the Raptors just look at the situations like, hey, we're not going to be like in the top, top selections to try and even get like one of the top picks in the draft. We might as well try just because like we were not as far down as we were hoping to be at the time. 
and they can and now they're doing they're at this point where they're using um these final what is it the last like 10 to 12 games to not only develop the young guys like they have been doing with malachi gary Trent and all that but also just trying to put the best product out there with the um with the starting lineup finally back and what the raptors have been really trying to do um as of late too is trying to kind of be dispersed out east and they're not going to be dispersed out east unless they're competing every single year the Atlanta Hawks are the next team that we're going to talk about. And Jalen, this is one of your favorite teams. So who do you think is the Hawks' X factor leading into the playoffs? Because Trey Young is still out with an ankle sprain, and he's probably going to be out, or he's not going to be 100% healthy when he returns. So who do you believe is the X factor for the Atlanta Hawks heading into the playoffs? I mean, easily for me, I feel like it's probably Clint Capella. I feel like he's been their most effective player for most of the season. You know, John Collins has missed time. Clint has missed time a lot. Um, but I think the bigger thing is defensively, especially with DeAndre Hunter missing most of the year, Clint Capella has been in his bag. And, I mean, I was looking at some of the t- statistics. I won't run them out too much. But one of the main things that stood out to me is that as a pick-and-roll partner for Trey Young, he's probably been the most effective of his career outside of maybe, what, 2016, 2017. And that was one of those years where pretty much – him and James Harden were the most effective pick-and-roll duo in the entire league. I think the fact that he's back into that fray only kind of further emphasizes what the importance of making a trade for him last season was. I understood the circumstances that he wasn't going to be an impact player out the gate when they acquired him due to, of course, his injury concerns. But he is really kind of taking stride so far this season. Slow start because he was still, you know, coming off of injury. And, I mean, there was that whole dilemma of, worrying about him a kongu and uh, john collins's rotation look he solidified himself as a guy who legitimately should be a part of this core and part of this team and i think that he's gonna be huge i feel like in terms of the eastern conference because of the fact that no matter what where you step in i think there's i think that clint capella is gonna arguably be in the playoff race i think you can argue that he may be the third or fourth best big in the East once we can playoff time. And I think that's going to be kind of crucial, especially defensively. Yeah, I, like, I definitely like what you're saying over there because Clint Capella, the reason why they drafted Onyeka was because they weren't sure about his health coming to the season. And I think especially like um, throughout the season, I think he's played actually quite a number of games too. So it's great to see him back on the court. So great to see him healthy. And to be fair, he has been one of the better defensive bigs out there in the East. In terms of the X Factor, though, I have to go with John Collins, mostly because of the fact that the Hawks expect him to be the second best player on that team. They've been waiting for that throughout his entire um, duration of his rookie contract, and he hasn't really taken the next step this year. Um, Last year, I think he was a near 2010 guy. His stats kind of decreased um, this year. And he's up for a huge payday in the offseason. And if the if he wants to get what he thinks he deserves, he's going to have to show out in the playoffs where things really do matter. And I think if um, if he finds himself like in like especially in situations where Trey Young is being double and stuff like that, he has to be the one to step up as the next shot creator, the guy who can post up, the guy who can hit a couple of threes to kind of alleviate pressure off of Trey Young. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to kind of show the Hawks that look, invest in me. I can be that second guy if you guys give me that opportunity. 
I mean, I think that's the perfect way to put it is honestly being a being given out the opportunity, but B TV, you pointing out this man's check. And I think that's important. I mean, you know, we don't want to be out here checking pockets, but at the same time, when you're playing for a contract, especially in a situation with Atlanta, you know, they are a team that from a young core standpoint, Reddish, Herder, even Bogdanovich still somebody who they signed is still on the earlier side of his career. Trey Young, obviously they're a team that has um, core like pieces that would make you think that they're still building. But then when you see what their offseason moves were, going after Danilo Gallinari, getting done, despite moving Rajon Rondo, they did still end up, you know, when they did that, they still went for an older guy in Lou Williams rather than trying to just go for simply um, draft assets. They they their pivot towards trying to be a win now team honestly only further emphasizes how much John Collins has to develop and how much John Collins has to you truly show what his worth is because he's not stepping into a position where he's going to be given time to still be able to grow into whatever player they think he is. He's going to have to kind of speed that process up because if he wants to be a part of a team like this one that's looking to not only just make the playoffs but hopefully progress through the playoffs sooner rather than later, something maybe we didn't anticipate coming into the year or coming into um, Trey Young's career, I guess you could say, which is only about three years deep, three, four years deep. I think the circumstances put it where John Collins playing for his check and everything kind of only further makes it where he's somebody that we should keep our eye out on because a man on a mission is a dangerous person, I think. The next team we're going to talk about is the Boston Celtics. And TV, I want to start with you on this one. One of Boston's biggest struggles this season has been the production coming off the bench. With the depth ever important in the playoffs, who is one guy on Boston's bench that you expect to have a big game when it comes time to the playoffs? This guy just signed with Nike actually a couple of days ago. We got to talk about Payne Pritchard. And he is one of those guys that who just comes straight into the league and he just doesn't feel like a rookie. As a Toronto fan, he's, I think, had two 20-point games against us. Like, this guy absolutely killed us in two games. But for someone who's a rookie, for someone who has been shoved into this backup guard role, especially, like, playing a bunch of minutes because Kemba Walker has been in and out of the lineup, um, he has taken that like, – he's become one of their most – um, efficient bench players. And I think that although this is a big time stage for him, especially being in Boston um, in the playoff series, I think that he's someone that can, you know, surprise a couple of people because he doesn't look like your prototypical um, guard. He's not someone who's super athletic, but he's super, super crafty. Kind of reminds me of like when JJ Barea was a really good point guard, like back in his, like, like a good backup point guard for the Mavs. I think he can have that type of role for the Celtics. And, man, they're going to need it because Fournier has been um, struggling ever since he's come over. They still don't know what we're getting out of the um, backup big positions there in Boston. Like, it's just been kind of a lot of a whole mess there. And I think Payne Pritchard has been definitely one of the bright spots off that bench. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and I'm glad that you shot out Payton Pritchard, A, because we talk about this dude on the pod probably more than more than what's healthy, considering that nobody specifically is a Celtics fan on here. But TV, I think the biggest thing, and I saw you shake your head as soon as the question was posed, man, because I know the Celtics are very underwhelming and very, uh, very polarizing overall because of the fact that, you know, from an on, on paper talent perspective, I mean, I think we all can sit here and agree that I don't believe they're the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. Like, I understand that they are definitely, at least on paper, significantly better than that. I think that on paper, they're better than the Bucs, even with adding Drew Holiday. I think the bigger thing is looking at their depth, man, 
I'm, I think that Peyton Pritchard is the guy that you have to focus on. And it really is only out of the fact that the, the Kimball Walker injury or the constant Kimball, Kimball Walker injury history that's starting to accumulate is one of those things that's really impactful on this team's ability to progress. Because one of the big things that I think people don't really pay attention to the fact that there's a lot of teams that switch in the NBA, but there's a lot of teams that don't. One of the main teams that does not is the Philadelphia 76 is a team that typically the Boston Celtics have had their number on. Kimba Walker is going to thrive in one-on-one matchups in a series like that. If you're telling me that defensively from an assignment standpoint, I'm worried about Kimba Walker versus Seth Curry, for example, or Kimba Walker versus an what I would say is an older version of Danny Green at this point, not a guy who's, you know, not effective on the defensive end, but definitely not a lockdown strap defender by any means. I think that's, that's a, that stands positively in their, in, in their respects. I think that from a matchup standpoint, Kimball Walker's health is so important in matchups specifically against like the 76ers or the Bucks that, if they're not going to be able to get production from him in one-on-one matchups at the guard position, somebody like Peyton Pritchard is going to have to be able to step up significantly in that area because that's where these two teams in particular are soft. They're not soft down low. They're soft up top in those backcourts. So I think Peyton Pritchard, it's scary to say that a rookie might get a lot of burn in the playoffs um, for a team that has aspirations of winning the chip, but like TV said beforehand, he's a guy who honestly doesn't feel like a rookie and has really had a lot of bright spots so far this season. So I think it's only well-earned. And I think he honestly might step up. I would not be surprised if there's a game or two throughout this postseason where they win it on the back of just Peyton Pritchard playing extremely well. Might not show up completely in the stat sheet in terms of it being him being the reason why they win, but I think they'll feel his impact. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's, I mean, we've seen like, especially last year, one of the biggest like rookie like standouts was Tyler Hero in the playoffs, and a lot of his like production came from the fact that he just does. I don't want to say doesn't care, but he's fearless. He is absolutely fearless when it comes to the big moments. And Payne Pritchard, um, pretty like had a pretty good college career um, for like himself um, coming from Oregon. And now he's coming into the NBA and he like shows kind of that same mentality where he's just like fearless in these type of situations. He'll take over the starting role if he has to, and he'll make the right plays when asked upon. And I think that that's someone who, who one could be very effective for them coming off the bench, but also could just be a great leader for them off the bench just to kind of settle the tide, especially just to um, when you want to alleviate pressure off someone like Kemba Walker, who may have to sit some minutes on the bench just, as, just so you can kind of manage his time there. Moving on to the Brooklyn Nets. We've seen the effect of how well this team can play when KD, Kyrie, and James Harden are all healthy. Jalen, if they all aren't healthy come playoff time, what are their chances to make the finals? I mean, I think that answer comes with a weird caveat we don't usually get to apply to most teams, and that's if they're all not healthy, which iterations of them are coming back healthy? You know what I mean? Like, if we get at least two of them I think they I think the chances are still extremely high. I still will put myself at about a 70 to 80 percent confidence level in terms of them being able to run the table. If it's just one, I still think even in that circumstance, the question is which one? If it's Kevin Durant, I think I, although regardless if there's if there's one, regardless of who it is, I'll have a lot less confidence. I'll still feel very high about the Nets. If it's Kevin Durant, 
I feel very strongly about it. If it's James Harden, I feel very strongly about it. If it's Kyrie Irving, I do have my trepidations about that just because the lineups where Kyrie Irving has been the sole superstar, the ones that haven't been the most effective throughout the season, the ones in terms of being able to win games, um, from a gaudy number standpoint, Kyrie tends to go off when there's no other superstars involved. But they're, they're the most effective when – Kevin Durant or James Harden has been on the floor. If you told me it was those two, I think that the chances would still be extremely high. I even think that if you pair Kyrie with one of those two, you're still safe. Um, so I, that's, that's the really uh, interesting thing about it is they're so interchangeable to the point that it doesn't really matter. I feel like what iteration of them comes back. But looking at health overall, man, I think that it's funny. I don't want to say that they don't need to be 100% to win the chip, but I, I do believe that as they can be, they can each be 70% from a health standpoint, but my main concern would just be more so about making sure that they stay on the floor. If they're all, if they all maintain their ability on the floor, I think they're good to go. If they're going in and out of the lineup, like we've been seeing over the last month and a half, it come playoff time, you can't play around with that anymore. So I think that's going to be tricky. But I, I feel, I still feel extremely confident in the Nets, and I feel like all of them, even if they all return at seventy percent or better, I feel like they're going to be in a circumstance where everybody's going to play, play hard, and they're they're hands down the most talented team in the NBA still with that three, um, at the top of the totem pole. I have to one hundred percent agree with that. Even at, at them between seventy to eight percent, if all three of them are at that point, I'm still very confident with them. Um, they only played seven games with each other this year, which is absolutely crazy. The fact that they've only played seven games with each other, but yeah, it, it's there's that obviously that whole factor with the three of them. Like even at seventy percent, are still going to be probably favorites to go to the finals. But if you just look at their competition out east, I mean, I have my quarrels about each and every one of them as well. I mean, the 76ers have struggled mightily ever since Ben Simmons got injured. And we know from their past history that we can't trust either him or Joel Embiid when it comes to long-term health. When it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks, we still don't know how, um, if they're going to really change it up too much in the playoffs. And I still, and I believe that, I mean, Jalen said it beforehand, he still thinks that even the Celtics are even better on paper in terms of the Bucks, in terms of, um, of like talent. So I'm still have my own quarrels about them. And then the Celtics still struggling, the Miami Heat struggling all season. I mean, if any of those teams really like gave me um, the confidence that maybe they could take down the Nets, I would have been a lot more, um, a lot more high on them, especially if since this Nets team has been kind of played with injuries, but because no one has really stepped up to the plate. I mean, I really still think even like say, like, like you say, Kyrie and Harden, Kyrie and Durant, like just two of them on the court, I think it would be just good enough to get to the finals. And that's a testament to how good the nets are, but it's also kind of a testament that the East, you know, no one has been able to step up to the plate like, like when the opportunity arises. Yeah. I mean, the bigger thing that you have to look at and, and TV, I think it's so important that you like really frame how the Eastern conference looks right now because i think the bigger thing is we have to look at the matchup that they're going to end up getting out of the first round if we look at it right now and of course we have to factor in the play-in game which is the most circumstantial part of all of this but they're going to either get based on the circumstances right now they're going to either get the heat hornets pacers or wizards i think honestly in circumstances like that if i'm the nets i feel pretty confident about that situation regardless the heat have not been playing their best basketball they're literally a 500 team over the last five games 
uh, over the last 10 games. Um, my apologies. The Hornets are a team that although they may potentially be getting LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward back, they're going to have to basically reintegrate those guys back in before the playoffs, not to mention they're already a young basketball team, despite the fact that they have little pockets here and there with Hayward, with Terry Rozier, who's played in the playoffs for the Celtics. And kind of moving down the line, it, it kind of gets a lot younger from that point point of view. The Pacers have not really been very good all this season. Um, I think that, you know, I have my uh, – I, I, I guess I have high praises for a guy in Nate McMillan. So, for me, I felt like this is only further proven my points or proven – um, that my positive feelings towards Nate McMillan's ability to coach are kind of worth putting out in the universe because one of those things that I feel like now it's indicative or their record is indicative of how important he was to their development over the course of the regular season. Now, of course, they've been hit by injuries a lot. Miles Turner's been out. DeMontis Sabonis has been out. Um, Karis LeVert obviously was a guy that they acquired but didn't even get to see for a, a good handful of time after acquiring him. So there's that. T.J. Warren has been down. There's a lot of circumstances that have factored in besides coaching. But nonetheless, they're a team that really just hasn't really been good for most of the year. And then the Wizards, I would say, arguably, are probably the most dangerous team out of that four group, just out of the fact that at, if you're walking out with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal on the same team in a playoff series, best of seven, I think that you have to be fearful of that situation. Obviously, a head-to-head collision between Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant makes it where that series could be. Very interesting all in itself. So I think that you have a point. Like, they're in a circumstance where as long as they're even semi-healthy, semi-together, just their first-round matchup alone is pretty slated in their favor, whether they've got one superstar, two, or all three. Moving on to a team in Charlotte who we felt early on the season could make a playoff push. And, TV, I want to start with you on this one. If LaMelo comes back late in the season, how far do you believe the Hornets will make it in the playoffs? I think whether LaMelo is there, LaMelo is not, it is still probably going to be a first round exit, mostly because of the situation they're in right now. They're going, they're one and a half games behind the six seed, but even though the Boston has been bad, I still believe to call out the season, I think they'll be um, comfortably either sixth or fifth. We're going to have to wait and see. But in terms of the playing seeds, I mean, at the end of it, I mean, we talk about this playing tournament. It's going to be fun and all that. But you're basically being asked to either be destroyed by the Philadelphia 76ers round one or the Brooklyn Nets round one. And I think that like, all that build up, although it will be fun to see how Lamelo is going to do in the playoffs, how that young core will do along with hopefully Gordon Hayward come that time. But at the end of the day, they are just not experienced enough. Brooklyn, with their two superstars, will probably absolutely dominate them. And then the 76ers, hopefully they're healthy by then. And... They just have no answer for Embiid nor Simmons in that um, in that scenario. So I think that although they're going to be a fun team to watch, and I think I'll definitely keep my eyes glued to that series. I just think it's going to be a quick exit for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, it's hard to disagree with that, TV. I mean, if you even look at I mean, say say that the Hornets play themselves up to six, say that the Celtics do slip. Either way, they're put in a situation where they're going up against the Milwaukee Bucks. Pretty much the way I look at it is from Charlotte's point of view, from a defensive standpoint, the, the top three teams in the East all have players that they would consider unstoppable in terms of being able to guard on the defensive end. If you got to go up against Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, 
or Kyrie Irving. I think Kevin Durant is probably the one that I would call unguardable in terms of Charlotte being able to play up against them defensively. I don't think they're going to be able to handle Kevin Durant in a seven-game series. When you look at the, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, you said it beforehand, Joel Embiid has been killing dudes all year, and I don't think that they have – I don't think that Charlotte has anybody at the center possession position that's going to even remotely be able to slow him down, let alone make him somebody that's going to struggle throughout a series in a way that – their guards are going to be able to thrive in the background and really be able to propel them to some kind of upset win over Philly. And then with the Bucks, I don't think there's anybody that can handle Giannis Antetokounmpo for the exact same reasons regarding Joel Embiid. I just think with the physicality, the big man standpoint, I don't think that they have any bigs that are going to be able to really be at a stick and move. I don't think they're going to be able to really be able to handle that. And so with that being the case, regardless of where they land, whether they're eight through six or six through eight, moving up the standings, None of the matchups against the top three seeds in the East are favorable for them. Favorable for them in any way. Maybe if they somehow bit luck and moved into five, or you know, and they were able to be in some kind of five-four matchup between either the Knicks or Hawks, maybe my confidence level would be significantly higher. But with the with the standings the way they are right now, honestly, no matter where they end up it looks like whatever team they're going to have to face is going to be significantly better, not just on paper, but from an overall skill set standpoint. Yeah, exactly. And I think what really, at least like what's good about this team is that, that this is not really their expect uh, like expectations to go back um, past this first round. I think what's the, um, what they really need to do, like especially evaluating during the playoffs is that who are they going to keep around going long-term because Devonte Graham, um, has been good, like in the starting role, but will he continue? Will they bring him back to be in the backup role or as a six-man role? Maybe they'll see come playoff time. Is Lamelo? Will he show up somehow in the playoffs? Will Terry Rozier do anything like that? I think it's just a good test. I think it's like a more of like a test, more of an evaluation at this point. And I think they, I mean, even like probably like their whole management probably don't expect him to go past the first round, but. Any experience is good experience. And I think that if, especially if they even get a win there, especially against like a Brooklyn Nets team or a Philadelphia team, I mean, that's pretty, I think that's a W of a playoff um, run for them. So either way, I think the, the Horns are just going to be happy with an appearance. The next team we're going to talk about is Chicago. And Jalen, do you believe the trade for Nikola Vucevic will age poorly if the Bulls don't make at least a play-in tournament? So, okay, so TV, I don't know how you feel about this trade, and feel free to go ahead and get into that to a certain extent as well, beyond just expanding on, you know, the playoff implications of this move. But for me personally, I'm going to sit here and say that I feel like if you trade for Nikola Vucevic and you don't at least make the play-in tournament, I understand the circumstances regarding Zach Levine within the, you know, the COVID protocol situation. But at the end of the day, that's a tough one, man. I mean, Zach Levine literally has one more year after this one. Um, in terms of being under contract, he's a guy who more than likely is not going to take any offer this year because of the money implications that he can get if he plays throughout next season from a max standpoint. So I really think that this was a circumstance if, a circumstance for them, not only when they traded for Nikola Vucevic, it was not only to be able to basically cater to Zach Levine and show they're committed to winning, but it was also their way of showing that they're committed to winning this season. Under the circumstances, you don't grab Nikola Vucevic at the trade deadline with the expectation that you're going to still be a meddling team. And over the last 10 games, they're four and six. They're a team that's pretty much teetering around. And if it weren't for the fact 
that the Wizards and Pacers, I mean, the Wizards less less so, but more so like the Pacers are a team that's slowly starting to trudge down the down the standings. That's the only reason that the Bulls are really still even in this conversation. Otherwise, I honestly feel like the circumstances are set up where we can't even really talk about the Bulls in the play-in because the Wizards have been so good. I think Charlotte's going to stand pat. So for me personally, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do this offseason moving forward to build around these two guys because we're going to fall into a circumstance of being very similar to the Magic with Vuce if we don't really make a play for getting more talent at key positions, specifically point guard. But I don't know. Maybe it is the Bulls fandom in me, but personally, I don't feel like you can make a trade, especially with the kind of trade assets that they involved, that they included to be able to make the move for Vuce. Not making the playoffs after acquiring him, that's that's just tough for me. I'm not sure if that's something that I can look at positively. Yeah, I definitely see you going there. When I when I um, um, saw the trade for Nikola Vucevic, I automatically thought that this team will at least get into the playing tournament. Um, having Zach Levine, one of the best scorers in the uh, in the NBA, um, paired with Vucevic, who has had an All Star season this year, I thought that that would be enough to propel them into a playing spot. Now, ever since that trade, it hasn't been great. I mean, Vucevic still putting up his numbers, Zach Levine um, still putting up his numbers when he was um, playing. But I think what this whole like trade has shown um, Chicago is kind of like what young players kind of need to go and what. Um, what young players are kind of need to stay because Patrick Williams, I think all season has been a great rookie. I think he like has shown like he um, could be a great asset for them moving forward, but looking at players like Larry Markin and who I was super high on two years ago, he has been extremely disappointing over the last two years. Kobe white. I just do not think that him and Zach Levine will mesh well in that backcourt at all. Like you said, you mentioned earlier, training for a point guard should be their number one priority come the off season, maybe even drafting one, but I think this is more of a better, a, a good realization for this team, especially because they just brought in Karnishevich in over the, the offseason. This is still technically not his team. I mean, he never drafted Laurie Market and he didn't draft Kobe White. I think he kind of sees that, like what the Bulls have now. And I think next season is kind of a better indication of what we can um, see from the Bulls moving forward. Because at the same time, there's still. Um, Karnishevich is still forming the team of his own. Sitting with Billy Donovan, this is kind of like not something that he has had much impact over the roster and stuff like that. So I think that next season is probably a better indication, but yeah, I'm still with you. I think it's still pretty disappointing that they're not making the play in. I mean, cause the main thing that I look at too, and like, even when you mentioned the idea of being able to draft a point guard, like I think that when you look at the circumstances of that, right with that Vucevic trade, it's top four protected. Basically if we're not in a circumstance where the draft falls in the bulls favor, we're going to lose that pick to Orlando and not even have the chance in terms of being able to pick a top talent at that point guard position, which is a shame considering that the draft class that we're walking into has a lot of guys who could, I'm not going to say potentially step in off the, out the gate um, to help us produce as a playoff team, but definitely a lot of significant talent that could be intriguing for this team. I see us definitely maybe throwing some money at a, at a guy like Lonzo Ball, potentially a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been discussed to potentially be on the move a lot this offseason. I mean, that, those are definitely things that are interesting moving forward, especially with the fact that from a guard standpoint, I mean, we're mainly running Kobe White and Ryan Archidiakono. Ryan, I'm not going to go into any rants about Ryan, uh, Ryan Archidiakono by any means, but he's definitely not a guy that I want as my second guard up. Tomas Sadoransky is a guy I think we're going to be forced to bring back, which I don't hate, 
but I don't love either in terms of this team being able to be a legit playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Man, my biggest thing with Vooch is just the fact that and I, I felt like the trade was really interesting because I think him as a pick-and-roll partner with Zach Levine was just something, a concept that I felt like would be extremely interesting. But at the end of the day, I think the rose-colored glasses of not realizing that Nikola Vucevic is a 20-10 guy regardless of winning or losing efforts is one of those things that should should maybe bring some cause to pause. But, TV, I'll take your advice and say that next season is a little bit more indicative. We have to see what they do this offseason with the fact that I think Lori, Lori's probably at the top of the totem pole in terms of te- uh, uh, a guy that the team should have questions about going into this offseason. But I also think that guard position, if they can get that shirt up, I think maybe that'll tell us a little bit more about what this team can be. Moving on to a team in the Cleveland Cavaliers who have a bright future ahead right now with guys like Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Jared Allen. TV, I want to start with you. Even though they're not making the playoffs this year, what do you believe is the ceiling of this Cavaliers team? I think, I mean, you mentioned those three guys, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Jared Allen. I believe that their um, ceiling right now for this team with another year uh, like underneath their belt is probably a play-in spot, 7, 8, 7 to 10. Um, I was not a big Darius Garland fan believer um, in his first season, and he's kind of proved me wrong this year. I'm I'm glad to admit that. And I think that that addition of Jared Allen um, as part of that um, uh, James Harden trade, I think was absolutely fantastic pickup for them, especially for the future. Um, I see this team having a good future, but there's still a couple pieces of way. Obviously, Isaac Okoro, um, their pick is still um, developing till now. He's shown some good flashes this year. But I think that, um, one, they got to get rid of Kevin Love because we know how his attitude towards the team is um, as of late. But uh-huh. at, the same, yeah, at the same time, I mean, there are some good pieces there. Do I think any of them could be a number one option? I'm still very unsure of that. But at the same time, I think that for, um, for the first time in a while, especially since LeBron left, I think there is some sort of hope in Cleveland right now. I mean, that's the big thing. I think that there's definitely hope. My biggest concern is just the mere fact that I don't see anybody here that when you say moving forward long term, there's any kind of building blocks towards a playoff team. And that's kind of the tricky part about what their situation is, TV. I think your range is perfect in terms of sitting there calling them a play-in team because that puts them at the low end of the 10th seed. And I think that respectfully, is probably where they're going to float around. I think the bigger thing for them is until they can get a a taller, more facilitate, happy guard up top, I think that they're always going to be in a really weird, wonky situation from an offensive standpoint. I mean, you know, we're talking about a guy in Colin Sexton who puts up 24 points per game, but he's not a guy who facilitates very much. He's not a guy who creates for others very much. They've got some interesting guys across the bench, uh, across the board. Obviously, Jared Allen is a guy who does most of his work on the defensive end. Larry Nance Jr. went healthy for most of the season, was like one of the most intriguing players in the league as like a three, as as an athletic three four guy who was doing a lot for them and helping them as a as a guy who, if I'm not mistaken, Cleveland was like top five in defense earlier on in the season, and he had a lot to do with that. So I think that that's definitely beneficial. The development of a guy like Isaac Okoro is going to tell us a lot about this moving forward too. But I think my main thing is, TV, you touched on one point with Kevin Love needing to be moved because, man, I think that at this point, his trade value is significantly decreasing. And I think this is one of those things where they might be two years too late 
but they've got to try to acquire some kind of assets for him. And then the other guy, honestly, dude, I don't think that you can be a winning ball club with Jetty Osmond getting the kind of minutes he's getting. Um, if you feel, if, Ryan, if you you know how I feel about Ryan Archie Diakono, if you think that I feel sorry for my team having him play significant minutes coming off the bench, I feel sorry for the fact that Cleveland is starting a guy like Jetty Osmond. No offense to him, but he statistically has been one of the worst offensive players in the entire league for most of this season. And that's tough when he plays a premium position at the three spot where he's not only going up against some of the better wings in the NBA defensively, but on the offensive end, he has to give it back to them. And I don't, he's not trading bucket for bucket with these guys the way you kind of need to, to be a top tier team, even if it is just in the Eastern conference, because if you go down the list in the East, the forward spot is a dangerous one. And Jetty Osman honestly doesn't rank anywhere in the top, 20 to 30 potentially overall at his position throughout the league. And that that's hard when you're trying to be a team that's trying to make the playoffs. Yeah. And I do like agree with your kind of your sentiments about the backcourt. I mean, none of them are very like pass first. I mean, at least with Darius Garland, he's made some significant improvements in that area of his game. He's become a lot better of a playmaker um, as a jump from his first season to his, um, to this season. But I think, yeah, the biggest thing is to kind of upgrade that wing position. Um, Isaac Coro maybe a bit too small to play that um, small forward position. But I still think that um, there's still a lot of room to grow. And I think with maybe like one or two more drafts, if they can hit on these next few guys, um, maybe get a better coach than J.B. Bickerstaff as well um, around the helm. I think at least they have a foundation. Whether um, they can find like a superstar or not, we'll have to wait and see. But at least with Cleveland, there is a foundation there. And I think there's, I think at least compared to last year, there are a lot less question marks going forward. Moving on to another team in the Detroit Pistons who found a great player and a leading scorer in the offseason in signing Jeremy Grant in free agency. Jalen, I want to start with you on this one because there haven't been a lot of bright spots with this Pistons team this year, but one of them has been Jeremy Grant, and he's up for most improved player this year in a loaded most improved player category. What do you think are his chances of winning the most improved player award? So, oh man, so I have to be honest. I feel like he's slowly been sliding down the ballot. I don't think it's necessarily indicative of the Pistons and their record anymore I thought that maybe that would be something that would contribute early on but I think the bigger thing that's going to hit him from a narrative standpoint is the mere fact that stepping away from being the fourth option for the Denver Nuggets being the first option for the Pistons is is one of those things where you're bound to take a step now I know that that's also somewhat circumstantial because when you're the first guy um up as a scoring threat you're also the first guy on scouting reports so that's one of those things that does have to translate but I think the other thing too is across the league man there's been a lot of improvement across the board just two guys alone in the New York Knicks for the New York Knicks in in terms of Julius Randle and RJ Baird have both significantly uh you know increased their overall I think their overall basketball IQs um over there but have also made significant strides just within that team by itself and when you look across the board there's a lot of players I've even heard on some podcasts that some some people consider Joel Embiid to be somebody that should be considered for the most improved player race out of the mere fact that he's a guy that not only looks better on the floor but is somehow found a way to go go from being a guy that we consider simply as an all-star talent to being a guy who's now put himself into the MVP category and that's a hard step for most players to take as well so with the with the water getting so murky in terms of guys 
improving across the line. You know, we, I mean, Ryan, we had an entire episode around this with the guys just merely out of the fact that I think this, this will work or go anyway. But if I had to put Jeremy Grant on some kind of um, ranking of some kind, I still think he falls somewhere between three and five. But Julius Randle would personally be my pick right now. But I mean, he's had an extremely uh, interesting season with the fact that, you know, his move to Detroit was one that was highly questioned, not only by me, but by others in terms of the, the idea of going to a lesser, um, not so uh, win now focused team in Detroit for the, for the same money that he was being offered to be a fourth option for the Pistons, um, for the, um, for the Denver Nuggets. So I think that he's a top five candidate for the award. I just think that there's a lot of guys who are not only improving significantly have really showed their strides this season, but they're playing winning basketball. Like I said before, and just the Knicks alone have two guys that I think are legitimately in the conversation. And they are a four seed that has really caught most of the league by storm with the way they played on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And then like speaking about like Jeremy Grant, I mean, that just reminded me like when you brought this question about like um, my midseason award predictions, um, um, my, 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 my midseason awards show that I did a couple months back with um, a few guys from Toronto and we were debating, is it Christian Wood? Is it Jeremy Grant or something like that? But I think in the second half of the season, Julius Randle has just grabbed this award race and just completely run away with it. I think that, I think I think Julius Randle is like at a 99% chance of winning and then everyone you can give them 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3%. Like it's not even close at this point. Julius Randle has just absolutely taken over the narrative. He's bumped guys like Christian Wood out of the conversation like Jeremy Grant. I just think that yeah, sure. Maybe if like, you know how the NBA awards does it, they have three nominees and stuff like that. Sure. Just just throw him as a nominee. Who cares? Cause it's just going to go to Julius Randle no matter what. And I think, Although, I mean, Jeremy Grant, I, I, again, kind of like Jalen, was kind of doubting his move going to Detroit, especially like, I mean, he bet on himself, basically, and he's actually shown that he could be a pretty solid number one option. I mean, obviously on a bad team, but I just think that with the way like the narrative has completely shifted towards the Knicks, towards Julius Randle, you could say that, I could, I'll just say that he's number three, in my opinion, but it's, it's not even close. Julius Randle is winning this and winning by a landslide. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing too, Brian, and I think if you want to talk about bright spots for the Pistons, I mean, Jeremy Grant's at the top of that list, but I mean, they have to they have to feel some kind of confidence in that draft class that they that they just came out with because for for a team that, you know, you've always been at least I'm going to say me personally, I've always had my trepidations about them being able to develop talent because of the mere fact that I've never really looked at anybody that's come up through a Detroit Pistons system and said like, oh, man, that's a homegrown guy who's going to be a problem down the line. Luke, Luke Kennard was somebody who was slowly being taken into that regard. But honestly, I mean, we see his production with the Clippers right now. He's a guy who's not even getting any burn for that team just out of the mere fact that maybe he's just not nearly as talented as some of these other guys. Terrence Mann has been a guy who's been playing a lot of minutes for them. But if you look at Detroit, I mean, Jeremy Grant is at the top of that totem pole. Sadiq Bay has been playing really well all this season. He's a guy who I think you could arguably put as like a top three, top four candidate for rookie of the year. And I don't think that's something that anybody expected for him coming into this season. You look at a guy in Isaiah Stewart, that dude down low is a problem. And I think that's something that's going to be really interesting too, because it gives them a presence at the center position that's really going to be able to 
and imp- help them improve defensively moving forward. Hopefully he can grow into more of a shot blocker. I think that'll be huge. Then, I mean, Killian Hayes, he's a guy who's been out for most of the year and we're not going to get a higher sample size on him. But honestly, I think that leaves the potential of Killian Hayes further out in the air for us to really get an evaluation of. And the fact that he won't be dealing with a guy in Derrick Rose, no offense to Derrick Rose, because I love him as a player, but Derrick Rose being on this team to start the season was one of those things that made it where Killian Hayes was going to have to get in where he fits in, despite being a, you know, a lottery pick that should be kind of coming out the gate and showing his team what he can do. So I think that they've got a lot of interesting building blocks trading for Hamadou Diallo is another little interesting thing too. They've got a lot of little interesting uh, building blocks. That's going to make them kind of, you know, I think worth watching, you know, going in the next season. And let's see what they do with their draft pick this uh, this upcoming um, draft because there's a lot of interesting guys that they could potentially go at, especially at the guard and wing spots. I mean, they got to be happy with the way, they, the way they look right now. I know the record probably won't make them feel that way, but I think on paper they got a couple of things to work with. Moving on to the Indiana Pacers and TV, this is a team that has been ousted from the first round of the playoffs for a couple of years now. If they fail to make the playoffs, do you think the Pacers should rebuild? Um, I do not believe they should rebuild. I think a real a retool is in place. I think um, for the last couple of years, the biggest question for them was, is this front court going to work? Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, this is basically the modern version of twin towers if you want to call it like that from like the old like era of the nba and you know they've been trying to make it work miles turner's very much improved his three-point shooting is one of the better um, rim protectors in basketball but as seen over the last couple of years like you mentioned ryan he they just have been like multiple first round exit after multiple first round exit i mean it's just this team is just clearly just not good enough but with the roster they have right now they have um, good pieces going forward Karis LeVert, think um, um, prayers up to him because like, he actually bounced back from that cancer, which is absolutely fantastic. But um, they got Malcolm Brogdon over there. They got Sabonis, who has already a two-time All-Star. I think what they really need to do now is kind of see what they can get for Miles Turner. Maybe get a, a another scoring wing. Maybe like pair him up with TJ Warren. Who knows what they're gonna um, come up with? But this team, I think. It will just be solid. I think it'll be solid going forward. Maybe they'll strike gold in terms of maybe trading for um, someone for Miles Turner. Maybe you see someone at Carousel Vert take that next step. Maybe Sabonis becomes all NBA one day. But I think at least like going forward, I think this team is going to be a solid team and they're going to need to maybe just like retool if they want to um, see what they got um, going forward. I mean, I think retooling is a perfect way to phrase this. I mean, Indiana is one of the biggest teases in the NBA, man. I got to be honest with you. Malcolm Brogdon at the top, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren at the, at the guard slash wings positions, a guy in DeMontis Sabonis who's become an all-star over the last two or three, three seasons. Miles Turner is, you know, top two in blocks per game and was the defensive anchor for them earlier on in the season. You look at guys like TJ McConnell for them coming off the bench, the holiday bros, they've got a lot of productive pieces, but they just seems like they either can't stay on the floor or can't seem to really coincide in terms of being able to come out with wins on a, on a, on a nightly basis. I think that retooling is smart. Unfortunately, it does seem like Miles Turner is the odd man out just out of the fact that I think this Twin Towers mix-up has been one of those things that people have been pointing out as not necessarily being um, super effective in terms of their bottom line of being more than just a team that makes the playoffs and more of a team that wants to make a run. And I think if you have to look between DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner, 
I think that not only do I think there's an interesting debate as to whether or not Miles Turner has more trade value, but I will say in terms of a guy that I think would be more maybe coveted on the market, I think Miles Turner is a guy who could maybe fit on a lot of other teams in a way that's a lot more seamless and makes him a little bit more valuable. So I think that using Miles Turner at the top of the key as a guy that you are maybe shopping around the league to see if you can acquire some kind of some kind of talent. I think TV makes a good point about acquiring another scoring wing of some kind or maybe grabbing a little bit more defense, honestly, I think might be another little interesting caveat as well. I think that's the best move right now. I think Indiana's in a position where, I mean, they have a first-year head coach that's going to be something that's going to come with his growing pains as well. Like I said, biggest tease in the NBA, man, because on paper they got some really solid guys, but I think that they're going to have to kind of move. I think Turner's going to have to be the odd man out for them to be able to get better. They're going to have to move him and see what they can make the most of out of that. Yeah, 100%. And I think that with Miles Turner, like I like the point that you made, I mean, DeMontis Bonus is probably the better player at the moment, but I think that Miles Turner could bring the most value to a contender. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of rumors last year about him going to the to the um, Boston Celtics, and God knows they need him right now. If they had him at the moment, man, that <laughs> maybe the this season would be completely different. But you said it a lot there. They're just a solid team right now. They're just a solid team with some solid players in Brogdon, Levert, Sabonis, and all them. But they're going to need to take that next step. And Miles Turner is probably going to be the odd man out. They might have to pair him with someone like a TJ Warren, maybe uh, one of the holiday bros and stuff like that, just so they can like maybe have the opportunity to kind of progress moving forward because – I know like an NBA team, I mean, they go to the playoffs every year, but their goal is a championship. And I think the Pacers understand that. So yeah, trade is definitely looming. Moving on to the next team in Miami and Jalen, this team last year made an upset run to the finals as a five seed. There's a chance that they could do it again, but ultimately they're going to, they're going to have to face either Brooklyn or Philadelphia. If the season had ended today, what do you believe is going to take for Miami to make the finals once again? I mean, it's going to be, I mean, look, in a run as improbable as it was beforehand, the two things or the three things that really slid in their favor was the resurgence of a guy in Gordon, Gordon Drogic, who played out of his mind in the playoffs as their leading scorer throughout that postseason. The fact that Tyler Hero literally caught the entire country by storm and the fact that they had a guy in Duncan Robinson who we have to remind ourselves he shot 44% from beyond the arc last, last year. And we're looking at him shooting 39% from beyond the arc this year as like, oh, man, that's a downy. Like, no, dude, he's still shooting at an extremely high clip. He's just not shooting otherworldly like last year. So there's a lot of things that lean in their favor last season that I don't think have really been able to show this year. And that's really reared its ugly head in terms of how they produce on the court. But there's still a team that's just about where I thought they would be in terms of, you know, the fact that, I mean, it's very similar to how they were last season in terms of the, uh, in terms of the, re- at least in terms of the regular season. So there's still a dangerous team in the postseason. But again, with a lot of the things that they had leaning in their favor, I think that they're, they're in a circumstance where they're going to have to kind of channel some of their last postseason again if they want to be able to make any kind of significant run. Unfortunately, I don't think that they're catching the same kind of Philly team that maybe, you know, the Celtics are used to catching in terms of just being schematically better or anything of that circumstance. I think with Joel and B playing at the level that he's playing and the fact that their team is more kindled around him, I, I mean, they're going to have to have a really interesting seven games to be any kind of problem against Philly. And 
they're in a circumstance where, I mean, I don't necessarily know if they can channel that because I think that the one thing that stood out more than anything outside of the fact that, you know, they're not the same team they were in the bubble is they've been extremely inconsistent. I don't know if when you get to the playoffs, that's going to be something that's going to, you're going to be able to work through those growing pains any further. Yeah. And a hundred percent. I mean, Goran Dragic last year, like you said, leading score for them um, throughout the entire playoffs. He struggled this year. He has definitely struggled this year. And the thing about this Miami Heat team, again, I mean, if we're talking about the narrative, this is the basically the exact same narrative going into this season. But what makes them still a dangerous team is that the experience that they had from last season. They know what it takes to get to the finals. And although um, it's going to be a definitely a difficult road, especially with the top of the East being a lot better than it was last year, it's it's just something where you just cannot never count them out, no matter what. Even like with their record, even with Tyler Hero absolutely struggling over these last 10 games, he has been absolutely horrible for them. You just know that they've done it before. And I think that is extremely important when it comes to like replicating what they could do because they know that they they could do it. Maybe that's been overconfidence throughout the whole season. Maybe that's why they've been kind of like slacking because like, oh, we're just going to, we could do what we did last year, even though that's probably not going to be the case. But I think that um, the experience is very useful for them. I think their best chance at even like attempting a finals run once again is trying to catch that fifth seed because facing either the Brooklyn Nets, Philly, or Milwaukee in the first round is going to be extremely tough. If they get that fifth seed, which they're only two games behind at the moment, facing either the Knicks or the Hawks, I would feel a lot more confident, confident going into that type of series. But at the end of the day, man, I mean, this Miami Heat team has definitely taken a step down. Maybe, um, obviously, the, the young guys are going to like, are not going to be freaking um, – they're not going to stay, like, playing like that forever. But at the end of the day, I think this is something that, at least going to the playoffs, they still have some little confidence in. And I could – even though, like, they're playing bad, I still can never count them out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, man, is that with the Miami Heat, it's one of those things where they have talent that's going to make them dangerous, and obviously they have the culture and playoff equity. So I think that's one of the things to watch out for. I just wonder if, like you said, maybe they walked around with their chest poked out a little much, a little bit too much, and maybe that's affected them for most of this regular season. Uh, there have been a lot of things uh, flowing around about teammates not being so hype about the, the trajectory Tyler Hero has been on off the floor. So I think that's something to take into account. Uh, but like you said before, and still, still can't discount Miami in terms of a playoff series. They're a team that I don't think anybody wants to see. The next team we're going to talk about are the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks have not been able to capitalize on Giannis's back-to-back MVP seasons. So, TV, I want to start with you on this one. What do you believe is holding the Bucks back from reaching the finals? To be completely honest, I think it's the coaching. I really do think it's the coaching. Mike Budenholzer is just that type of coach that kind of is stuck in his ways. And I think like at least what the Bucks did really well this offseason is kind of get rid of some of those bench pieces because Mike Budenholzer, even in the playoffs, will be playing 11 to 12-man rotations. And in the playoffs, you know, the good teams shorten their rotations. They want their best guys playing the most minutes. And Mike Budenholzer never really did that. So the only way that they were he was able to kind of switch from his ways there is, the, is literally the – um, GM of the team making the move. So um, basically telling Budenholzer, hey, look, these are the nine guys that we want like, to be playing like most of the minutes. And I think that Boonhoser is a very good regular season coach as seen what he's done with the um, Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. But he's someone that 
doesn't make the right adjustments come playoff time. It feels like he still has like the same sort of like mentality from the regular season going to the playoffs. We talk about these players having a playoff mentality. I don't know if but of Coach Bud has that as a coach, and I think that's something that they really need. That that's going to be the biggest thing going into this playoffs. Is anything going to change? Is really anything going to change? Because the Bucks have been the number one seed, or at least close to number one seed. Um, um, for the last few years, and this year it's been kind of different. I think they're going to be probably stuck at number three, and they still got you know a a perennial MVP candidate in Giannis. They brought in Drew Holiday. Their team is better, but it's all about if Mike Boonholzer is going to make those type of adjustments come playoff time. And I, I just do not know if he's going to like be able to do that. Yeah, I think the bigger thing with them is just I mean you, you look at you look at what he and Budenholzer has been unable to do or maybe unwilling to do depending on where you stand on that side of the fence but I think the other thing too is just the mere fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo was the same guy in the postseason either you know what I mean when the when the game slows down for him it turns into an offensive uh an, um, an offensive you know grudge match more so than an up and down running uh running gun kind of game where he's able to work a lot of the open floor and it turns into more of a half court slow down game Giannis Antetokounmpo is just not the same guy. And I think that's one of the bigger things that's indicative of their playoff success because at the end of the day, he's their best player and everybody feeds off of him. When he doesn't play well, the rest of the team is not significantly talented around him. Don't get me wrong. They've got a a couple of good cog pieces. Drew Holiday is a guy that I love personally, and I think he's going to be huge in this playoff uh, run in particular as a guy who's going to be at a guard one through threes at a high level. Chris Middleton is no joke as a guy who's a multi-time all-star. And I think that he's legit despite being a very underrated guy. I even like Brooke Lopez, but even once you look past those three players, the well starts to get really dry. It's a lot of Bryn Forbes, a lot of Dante DiVincenzo's. And I love those guys, but I don't think those guys that are going to be really, um, that are going to be significant players in terms of being a, a championship contender. I think they're going to have a couple of good games. I think they're guys that are going to definitely get a lot of burn in terms of being productive on the floor. But I think that at the end of the day, the three at the top, along with maybe a guy in Brooke Lopez, are going to be the guys that they rely on hands down. But Jan Satatokounmpo, of course, is the guy that everybody is looking at because he's the guy that's coming off two MVPs. So I think that's going to be really interesting too. Yeah, I, have to, I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like, like obviously MVP seasons back to back years, um, has definitely like regressed in the playoffs, especially like, especially like watching him in the Toronto series, completely fold in those final four games. I do remember seeing that live. I mean, the Raptors just basically just built a wall, and Milwaukee couldn't adjust. Now is that just now is Giannis to blame for that? Yes, but also Mike Boonholzer needs to understand like kind of like what he's going up against, and what he's showing me over these past few years is that he is like he doesn't want to make the right adjustments. He just doesn't want to do that for me, and obviously I'm going to put some blame on Giannis, but I think with like a more creative coach, maybe someone who um is willing to try out different things, I think that this team would be a lot more successful. If Bud can do that this year, man, he's going to prove me wrong, but. Um, I think Mike Boonholzer is the biggest thing to look at like um, coming into this playoff series. Moving on to the next team in the New York Knicks. And the Knicks have won nine straight games before losing to the Phoenix Suns. So, Jalen, I want to start with you on this one. How legit are the New York Knicks as they make a push for the playoffs? I mean, they're as legit as I think they could get out of the first round. And I think that that's pretty impressive for a team in New York that hasn't been to the playoffs in our grip. 
So I think that that's something that's kind of important in terms of their postseason success. I think they're a team that, I mean, one of the biggest things was from a shooting perspective uh, and talking about defensively, they were a team that pretty much was pretty much was controlling three point shooting from, um, from opposing teams. And it was something that a lot of podcasters and a lot of writers across the board earlier in the season was saying that something that was saying that it might be not, it might not be sustainable um, to be that well defensively against the three. And so far it's pretty much stood pat. I mean, it's been one of those things that's been very effective for them throughout the season. They're still a top five defense in the league, something that I don't think most people could have even fathomed coming into this season, let alone believe they would still be in that range this deep into the year. They don't really have anybody in particular that screams defensive stalwart to you, let alone the fact that they're, you know, a overall good team defense. Um, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, I've already kind of talked about them a lot earlier on in um, the podcast, so I won't go into them too much. But, I mean, they've got guys like Emmanuel quickly, Derrick Rose's playoff tested as well. I mean, this is a team that is young. This is a team that definitely is going to be scratching and clawing to make a, make a name for themselves in this postseason. But right now it looks like they're going to catch the Hawks early. And Trey Young, we talked about it earlier, is not going to be 100%. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how their young guys, Cam Reddish, um Bogdanovich who's not been any any been in any playoff fire either um how they respond Trey Young not being fully healthy how he responds John Collins playing for a cover contract and you know so on and so forth so I think their first round matchup is very favorable for them not in a way that means they're going to win but favorable in a way that they're that's the most even playing field they can get out of any any other team in this in this lineup in terms of teams that they could actually catch, because the only other teams that, that could actually fall in this lane are the Celtics and the Heat. And from a playoff standpoint, they're two, they're two of the most battle-tested teams in this entire postseason, Eastern Conference or Western Conference. So I think they're legit enough to at least make a, a first round, uh, make some first round noise and maybe even take the dub. Yeah, 100%. And I think the biggest thing here for the New York Knicks is hoping that they get that Atlanta Hawks matchup because both these teams, not very... Um, battle tested in terms of the playoffs um, facing against the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, I think could be a completely different story for the Knicks team, but what they've done, especially this year, I mean, Jalen mentioned the defense top three in the league still after 60 games. I mean, it's been absolutely ridiculous what they've been able to do. And for all the Knicks fans who said that um, Tom Thibodeau wasn't going to be the coach for them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he, if, of course, one of the best like defensive coaches over the last decade is not going to improve your defense. Yeah, sure. But um yeah, I mean Julius Randle has definitely stepped up and like onto the number one mantle. Um, I, I think the only thing like I worry about with this team in terms of Tom Thibodeau led teams is Julius Randle and RJ Barrett are both top three in minutes this season, and I know they're young, but they haven't played this far into the season in their young careers. So, will they just run out of gas like if they go into a long series with the Atlanta Hawks, Celtics, or the Heat? Definitely going to be something to look at, but. I think this team is going to, no matter what, is going to play hard. They're going to play tough, and it's going to be a difficult matchup for anyone in the first round. Yeah, definitely don't want to see them at all in the postseason because just merely off the defense, I think that they're going to be a scary team. I think that the minutes, the minutes standpoint, I think that's such an interesting stat, man. I mean, they're literally one in three, Randall and R.J. Barrett, in terms of minutes played, with literally the only other player that remotely falls close 
being Nikola Jokic, a guy who's played all season, is a legit MVP candidate. So, I mean, that just goes to tell you what kind of burn they're getting there. They're basically playing playoff basketball every night the same way it seems like Jokic is on his way to this postseason, a guy who's definitely been making a lot of noise throughout this entire regular season. Moving on to the next team in the Orlando Magic and TV, the Magic went from a playoff team this year to a rebuilding team in the span of a year. What do you believe is the biggest need for Orlando heading into the offseason? The biggest need for the um, Orlando Magic coming into the offseason is just someone to um, someone on the wing to create their own shot. Because I think with the point guard situation, they're still trying to figure out who they are they're trying to like keep as like the future point guard. They still got Marco Fultz, who's coming back from injury next year. Cole Anthony is getting some burn at the end of this season. I think that there's still going to be that sort of competition come next year. So I think the point guard position at least will be fulfilled for that type of year. Um, Jonathan Isaac hopefully comes back from injury. He's a, one of the better defensive um, wings in basketball. I think he would be very good. They traded for their future center in Wendell Carter. So they're going to want a full year with him. The thing that's missing, and I think it's been missing for a while there in Orlando, is kind of that um, um, shot-creating wing. And there's um, people like Kate Cunningham in the draft that could do that um, for sure if they um, are lucky enough to draft someone like him. But I think for them is just to just continue to fill in the pieces, um, see what they're having to young guys. Um, this is definitely going to be a long-term rebuild. I do not see them being competitive for another two to three years. But if they hit on these draft picks, if they um, um, develop these young guys and like have them come together, develop that chemistry, it could be a solid team going forward. And especially um, with um, the Chicago Bulls pick, who which is probably going to fall outside the top four, and they're going to get as well. They're going to be there's going to be um, quite a number of um, guys coming in there to Orlando, and I think it's going to be definitely going to be very interesting going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger thing, you know, I, uh, I think TV has a lot of good points in terms of being a, being able to get a shot-creating wing. I think that Jonathan, Jonathan Kaminga is also an interesting guy that falls into this category as a guy with a high ceiling, as a guy who can translate for them. If he can if he can up that three-ball tick, I think that'll be the thing that'll be his swing skill. I've been saying that for a while. I think the main thing, though, for me, like the easy answer is get Jonathan Isaac back, right? Like, I think yeah. that's like one of the main things. You're talking about a guy who was legitimately in the defensive player of the year race at one time, versatile guy. At the, uh, at the four spot, who I think is extremely dangerous on both sides of the floor and definitely a great up-and-down guy who runs the floor, um, plays as big and as strong as he is, and plays extremely hard on both sides of the floor. I think that getting him as a guy who I think also they can um, easily now stamp as their franchise player rather than kind of teetering with the fact that they had – what <laughs> three franchise players three guys all kind of fighting for this title between Aaron Gordon um Jonathan Isaac himself and then obviously Nikola Vucevic there was no definitive guy that they were leaning into and saying this is your team for I think Jonathan Isaac is a guy who I think they might be able to do that for and I think that is even more indicative of where Orlando could be moving forward because they've got a couple of pieces there. And then from the draft capital standpoint, this draft class alone is about to be very kind to them, especially if TV, like you said, the Bulls pick falls outside of the top four because then they've got two really good cracks at it. And this is a very interesting draft with a lot of versatile guys. So, I mean, they could be a team that, yeah, I don't think they'll be a playoff team, um, very soon. I agree with you that the timeline is definitely starting more so about two or three years out. 
But I mean, they're in a situation right now where I think they they the the perfect thing they could have done was blow it up going into this kind of draft class because a lot of the things we think they might need to address are littered throughout the entire class, despite the fact that the top five is the one that gets discussed the most. Exactly, a hundred percent there. And Jonathan Isaac, I mean, he is going to be hopefully their best player coming into next year. And the biggest thing here is just trying to develop a culture, trying to develop an identity for this team. And I think this is like the perfect time for them to kind of test new these new things, um, bring in some different people, and kind of like try and find the right combination because they do not have any expectations of going on the next few years. And I think it is a good time to, as a trial run is a good time for them to use these next couple of years as a lot of testing, maybe trying to figure out a new coach instead of Steve Clifford as well. Um, there's a lot of th- directions they can go to. And I think for a rebuilding team, this is the perfect situation that you're, that you're going to be in. Yeah. And I think with Orlando, it's interesting because like we were expecting them to make the playoffs and slip into the playoffs with Nicole Vucevic, Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier. But it was, it almost just happened so quickly that, now with all this young talent, they can take that time to do what they really couldn't do for a while now. And that's, that that's build for a long-term or build build for a long-term rebuild. So moving on to the next team in the Philadelphia 76ers, the 76ers have made a drastic improvement from last year to this year, especially considering that they finished sixth last year. And this year they're all at the top of the standings, pretty much battling it out with Brooklyn. So, Jalen, I want to start with you. Is there a case for Doc Rivers to be coach of the year? Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I genuinely have him in my top three. I feel like it's hard to argue with what Monty Williams is doing, especially if you just talk about the overall improvement record-wise as well as the continuity of this team. A lot of the lineup stuff has been really interesting. I know that Chris Paul is a guy who is mentioned a lot in terms of the development of this team, especially because now he's got a bit of a track record considering the impact that he had on OKC leads. OKC last season but I think at the end of the day what Monty Williams has been able to do has been extremely interesting considering that he's created a culture within this team that stemmed from the last eight games if everybody wants to remember what took place in that bubble it was this was brewing last season so I feel like the biggest thing is not only did they build upon that but Ryan, I mean, they're one of the better teams in the Western Conference. They're currently jockeying with the Clippers for second place and they sit at second place right now so I think that's one of those things that's very um, interesting on that side of the bracket, but outside of outside of Monty Williams, for me, it was really a battle between Quinn Snyder and Doc Rivers, and I think they both have their own kind of um, cases. I think that for Doc, I think that although this team is better regular season-wise, I think Doc has put them in a position now where I think that they're going to be a lot more pe- prepared for the postseason, not only because their team is built more geared around their main primary superstar in Joel Embiid, but also I think from a schematic standpoint, they're in a position where I think that you you clearly have a better coach than Brett Brown in the coaching box in terms of being able to make adjustments, and that's one of the biggest things that I think they struggle with. Um, they struggled with um, in past years. Um, Quinn Snyder is a guy who just has an extremely talented uh, team across the board that goes about nine deep, but he's been able to make the most out of every single player and they have the best record in the Western Conference. I think Doc Rivers is legitimately a top three guy. I personally wouldn't give it to him. Like I said, I would put Monty Williams at the top of that board for me, but I do think that I think that Doc is in a position right now where he has really been very conducive to the development of some of these guys on this team. And I think that's very impressive for a team that already had such an extremely high upside from a talent standpoint. 
Yeah, I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers, I mean, just digging to last year, they were the, I believe, the sixth or the fifth seed last year, and they got swept in the first round. I mean, that was an absolutely disastrous season they had last year. Um, coming into this year, they bring in Doc Rivers, and he has gotten the the best Joel Embiid out there out on the floor. Um, he's brought the best out of Tobias Harris, who a lot of people were calling for his head, especially after giving that big, big contract. And now he's has living to it at, uh, like at, to a certain degree, and, and it's been actually really fun to watch this year. Um, like Jalen, I have him in my top three. Um, I think my top two is pretty solidified with Monty Williams being at number one, Quinn Snyder being at number two. But at number three spot, I think is going to be a lot more um, competitive, especially what Tom Thibodeau is doing there over there at the New York Knicks. I think he is making an argument for that as well. But Doc Rivers, you, um, I think the biggest impact he's had on the 76 is just realizing Joel Embiid and how amazing he is as a basketball player, telling him to shoot less jump shots, being that absolute monster inside the paint. And that's shown. I mean, he, throughout the season, he was the number one MVP candidate. So, And I think you can attribute that to a lot to Doc Rivers. Obviously, he has a playoff experience. I mean, maybe not the best playoff experience over the last few years or so, but it's playoff experience nonetheless. And he's won a championship, so I think that he'll definitely help out the 76er team a lot. Um, I think all that matters for the 76ers now is just trying to stay healthy throughout this playoff run. And I think um, hopefully by resting Ben Simmons here, hopefully Embiid um, missing that time, hopefully staying healthy, um, Doc Rivers could take him to that promise line, we have, but we have to wait and see. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing with Doc Rivers as a coach right now is just going to be the idea of showing that he can make adjustments on the fly. I think this is something that he's already been pretty well known for, something that Brett Brown wasn't. And I think that's one of the biggest things that made Philly fans upset is the fact that he pretty much was throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks rather than being able to actually identify what was taking place on the court. I don't think Doc Rivers is going to have that issue. And like you said, at the end of the day, you self-actualize a guy like Joel Embiid Look, that's got to put you somewhere in the totem pole because you're talking about a guy who basically you unleashed as a guy who is now an MVP candidate and nobody's going to want to see them in the playoffs merely off that fact. So moving on now to the last team in the Eastern Conference in the Washington Wizards. And to say that this team really turned it around this season would be an understatement. They're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. And TV, I want to start with you. How much should teams fear the Washington Wizards in a potential seven-game series? The thing about this Washington Wizards team, man, is that they could be like the big, like probably one of the scariest eight seeds that we could that we've ever seen, or they can absolutely sink the floor. And that all depends on what Russell Westbrook is going to produce come the postseason. Um, I think a big reason as to why they're able to even go on this eight-game winning streak um, before losing to the Spurs the other day was because Russell West because they were starting to play Russell Westbrook ball, um, averaging a triple double once again this season. But no one wants to bat an eye on that because he's just been doing it year after year now. It's absolutely ridiculous how much the um, watered down the, the triple double is. But just the way, just because of those two players and Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I think that no one in the first round really wants to see that, especially having to deal with both those guys. I think they've basically embraced that they are just one of the worst defensive teams in basketball and they just do not care for that side of the ball at all. So I think that I think just because of the fact that they're just so unpredictable and stuff like that, I think it's just really hard to prepare for for the other team. Um, I I don't see them going out the first round, but I see them like definitely giving them giving a fight to a Brooklyn Nets team who I really want to see both of them go up against the first round. A Katie Russ first round series would be absolutely fantastic. But 
yeah, I just think that this team was just going to, it's just going to cause problems in terms of just their unpredictability out there on the floor. I mean, I think that's the big thing is they're so polarizing. TV, I'm glad that you said that they're a team that could be the most dangerous team at the eight spot, or they could be a team that can completely fold over. I think that's the best way to describe them, honestly, is a team that honestly, depending on how they come out on a night-to-night basis, you don't know what you're going to get with them. As a, as a guy who watches the Wizards avidly, you know, one of the bigger things that I've probably taken notice of more so than Russell Westbrook's production post-All-Star break is actually the production of a guy in Davis Bertans who struggled from three and as of late has been really shooting the crap out of the ball as of late. I think that's one of the biggest things that makes them dangerous moving forward. Um, I think the other thing, too, is that you want to see guys like Rui, Rui Hachimura get that burn. I really wish that we could see Thomas Bryant in these circumstances. I hate that Denny Avdia had to go down with that season-ending injury as well. I think he's a guy who hasn't really been very much this season, but I feel like could have definitely been an interesting guy in a playoff setting where we would have been able to see him in one-on-one matchups constantly on a night-to-night basis against the same team, schematically trying to be built in on an offensive standpoint as well. So... I think the Wizards are just an overall interesting team because of the fact that you just don't know what they're going to do. And I think Russell Westbrook is the is the X factor, despite being one of the two all-stars on this team and being the MVP of the two in terms of a guy who's been in that mix before. So, man, I think the Wizards are extremely interesting. I think the fact that they're catching Brooklyn in the first round probably is the best part about it if they do make that, um, that run. Because, like you said beforehand, I think that matchup between Russ and KD I think that's going to be something that's just going to be must-see TV all in itself, and that's not even talking about the fact that you know we're going to get a lot of 140 to 142 games for sure because they're going to be running up and down the floor, and there's not going to be very much defense but a lot of buckets. Yeah, and I think this is probably – and I think this is just why I'm just so intrigued with this team just because it's just so erratic. It's just like you just do not know what you're going to get from this team. You can have, I mean, for goodness sake, you can have Bradley Beal scoring near 40 points a game and they could get swept. This is how weird this team could be. And I think that um, with the way like they are, and I think with Russell Westbrook and the way that he kind of motivates himself, if he sees KD across on that other side of the court, man, this like it could be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Wizards take one or two games off that Brooklyn team just because of just Russ's heart and intensity. Um, on his own and I think I just think it's just gonna be like you said must watch a basketball it's gonna be definitely the one um, first round series I'm gonna definitely keep my eye on yeah I think the Wizards are just one of those teams right where when you look at them and you look at what they're doing as of late I think one of the bigger things that need to be touched on is the fact that this is a team that has been hit by COVID significantly um, earlier in the season this is a team that from an injury standpoint couldn't really be affording to miss guys, man, let alone a guy like Thomas Bryant down low. Daniel Gafford is the guy, man. I think next season, I think he's going to be one of those guys who is going to be so interesting at the center position when you're talking about being able to move between him and Thomas Bryant. I think that that depth is going to be so interesting to see. Um, I think the other thing, too, is that when it comes to the playoffs and what they do, I think that wanna be one of the things that we also need to keep on, too, is this, right? Bradley Beal has not been in a playoff situation in a while. But he is still a guy with ice water in his veins. He's still a guy that I think is going to be extremely huge in clutch moments. And I think that's going to be one of those things that's going to give us a chance to really, really see what what having him as the lead guy, as the lead building block for the Washington Wizards is. Because, look, whether we like it or not, whether we want to scream free Beal, free Bradley, all that stuff, because it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we're going to get all we've been getting all season. And it's kind of still continuing even now. 
he wants to be there. And we need to know what a Bradley Beal led playoff team looks like. And this is the best chance of that. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see basically what that's like in a situation where he is going to have to be the guy and Russell Westbrook is going to have a lot of leeway, but Bradley Beal is going to be the guy at the, in the closing moments that you know they're going to get the ball to. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which Eastern Conference team are you looking forward to seeing when it comes to the playoffs? We'd like to thank our guest again, TV, for coming on and talking about the Eastern Conference with us. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace!